Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Today's episode is part two in our series about how industry qualifies opportunities and determines whether or not to bid. This podcast is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. If you're frustrated with your progress in the government market, Skyway's team of former contracting officers can help you move faster, win more contracts, and manage the contracts you have more effectively. Go to askskyway.com to schedule a time to learn more because nobody likes losing. Okay, now part two of qualifying opportunities. In the government market, you know, the opportunities are boundless and even the targeted ones, it can be overwhelming. The image that I get from one of my customers, he said, I feel like I'm sitting on a dinghy in a wide open ocean. And it gives you a real perspective on how people feel when there's so many opportunities. We've talked about targeting a lot. After we target, we have to qualify opportunities. We talked about the first part of qualifying in episode 182, and we talked about the relationships part of qualifying opportunities. In this episode, we're going to talk about how to qualify in terms of your response, your capability to respond. Remember in the last episode, we introduced the four R's of qualifying, relationship, response, that's today's, resources, and revenue. This is an area, as a contracting officer, again, I thought people just had it figured out. I thought they understood when I posted something, they'd all just find it, and they would have no trouble responding. And only people that could truly win were going to respond, right? Exactly. This is an area people struggle with. Before we try to help people with their struggles, let's stop and say thanks. The struggle is real. Sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> I say thanks this week to Angelina Gibson from Surefire. She's a contracts manager out in Orange County, California, which is you know, other side of the, of the U.S. for us. Thanks, Angelina. She scheduled a podcast feedback session, and she gave me some really great and candid feedback on what we've been doing well and not so well <laughs> for the last three years. And she's making our podcast better. So thanks for all that feedback and for liking and sharing our content on uh, LinkedIn. Thanks, Angelina. Okay, back to qualifying. Qualifying comes after targeting. Targeting is step one, and we talked about targeting in a whole bunch of different episodes. Targeting is all about finding your reachable market, which is everything you could do, your target market, everything you should do, and your weight classes, everything you actually can do. So now that you know you can do it, you've, you've gotten through those three steps, you have to qualify. And, and our Skyway customers use the RFP score, which is a tool that we created based on FAR 7.105, which is the contents of a written acquisition plan. And we'll cover a few more of the questions that are in that tool in this episode. Since you jumped right into a FAR reference, we will officially declare this to be FAR time. We still need a jingle for that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> FAR 7105 is contents of a written acquisition plan, and it states that the plan must address all technical, business management, and other significant considerations that will control the acquisition. It also says the specific contents of the plans will vary depending on nature, circumstances, and stage of the acquisition. The reason that's important is it's fine that the government is required by the FAR to go through these steps of acquisition planning. What falls apart is when those important nuggets of information are not shared with industry so that they also understand how the government intends to buy, what they intend to buy. This is the thinking part of the job. The contents and interpretation of that written plan is the thinking part of co contract management, in this case, of understanding if you can respond properly. And if you share that information, you allow industry to qualify. A reminder, 
Qualifying opportunities is not something that you do once industry. It's done over and over through the acquisition time zones as you learn new information. And from the government side, understand that they are qualifying based on each piece of information you let out. So letting it out almost like through an eyedropper over time versus one giant reveal, it's better to have it come out over time because that way they're not all waiting, 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 waiting. Oh, we can't do that. That's, that's where the frustration I used to get when somebody would call after the RFP came out and it, I'd get a flurry of frustrated questions because there were things that they didn't know until that moment. Or so, you put a whole lot of planning into something that one little piece of it makes it unexecutable by industry. But because it took three months for them to learn that, now you have to change everything to correct that. Whereas if you had shared information all along, you might have been able to make that change months ago and, and save yourself that time that you're going to lose right now because you have to redo things. Yeah, I've done that. Okay, let's get into potential qualification questions for the second R for response. Remember, relationship, response, resources, and revenue. Industry, when you get information about the government's acquisition strategy, you should ask yourself, does the type of acquisition strategy fit my company's capabilities? So for example, if this is a low price, technically acceptable acquisition versus a best value acquisition, does that hurt you or does that help you win? Or, or is it a far part 12 commercial acquisition, which we have a podcast on that, that has specific rules of how you can buy things through far part 12. It helps some companies or it's other companies. Think about this like cars. Let's say you see a draft RFP and it says the government wants to buy basic transportation, low price, technically acceptable, and the technically acceptable criteria is must get 32 miles per gallon. Well, if your company sells trucks, you have to look at that and say, well, our truck provides basic transportation, but it only gets 22 miles per gallon. Maybe I shouldn't bid on this one, or maybe I should talk to the government and explain to them my truck can provide you the capability to tow a trailer or to haul a bunch of dirt or something like that. It only gets 22 miles an hour, but it has more capabilities. Maybe a best value acquisition is better suited government if you would value being able to tow something or haul something. And just by that simple twist, suddenly you are able to compete. And this gets really interesting when, let's say you, you make trucks and your trucks get 22 miles of the gallon and everybody else's trucks get 18. So relative to your, to your competitors, you have great gas mileage, but that's not what their RFP asks for your response will be off the mark where it's like yeah we can meet this but in our little bubble we have a huge competitive advantage but how does the rfp written yeah if if it costs if your truck costs one dollar more in order to get that extra four miles per gallon you're gonna lose if it's lpta if they only needed 18 and they're looking for a low price your little bit better mileage may not have helped and like we talked about in the last episode there are there are degrees of answers. So the answer you don't want to have to this question of does the type of acquisition strategy fit your capabilities is no, we have, we're not even sure what the strategy is nor how to influence it. That's a bad answer. The other extreme is yes, the acquisition strategy fits our strengths and capabilities perfectly. We have a strong record of winning under this strategy. That's what you want. So in between those, you have different options. It's not yes or no. There's a whole range of how well does the acquisition strategy fit your capabilities from not at all to perfectly and everything in between? The next question that industry can ask themselves 
when qualifying an opportunity and their ability to respond is, how well does the anticipated contract type fit your capabilities and goals? Is it firm fixed price? Is it cost plus fixed fee? Is there some kind of award or incentive fee? Is it an indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity, an IDIQ contract that's going to require many, many task order proposals throughout the life? We have actual podcast episodes on each one of those, as it turns out. And once again, your range of answers go from, we don't know what the contract type is or what it will be, nor do we understand how to influence it. That's a problem. The other extreme is this contract type fits our capabilities perfectly and gives us a competitive advantage. And we've won work with this contract type before. You see the trend here. If you're a small business and you don't have an approved accounting system, you may not be able to bid on cost type contracts. You, if you don't collect costs in, in a manner that is acceptable to the government, and if you can't prove that you have a system that can do that, it's perfectly fine to bid on fixed price contracts. You may even be able to bid on time and materials or other things where you have rates that are fixed. But you're not going to be able to win if it's cost plus fixed fee. If you understand this up front, you can save yourself a lot of time when you read it and say, oh, that's a cost type contract. That one's not for me. Or it's the opportunity to go to the government and say, if you made this fixed price, then you could get what I sell. Or if it's an IDIQ contract, IDIQ, particularly a multiple award IDIQ, let's say there are sample task orders. Are you capable of effectively responding to multiple sample task orders at the same time? That's problem number one. So that means it's a bigger proposal effort. Correct. Because now you're, you're saying here's our overall management plan and then we have three or four potentially different customers that you're serving. It's almost like writing mini proposals and sample task orders. And then after the contract is awarded, if it's a multiple award IDIQ, which is a contract type, now you're having to write more task order proposals in order to continue to win the work. So you use the sample task orders to win the contract and you have to continue to do task order proposals to keep the work. That's a contract type. That's part of the acquisition strategy that is going to impact whether or not, like, for example, do you need a proposal management team right. to keep this contract? And to be surprised afterwards is dangerous. Yeah. Do you have the staff to compete and perform on a contract like this? Or do you have the willingness to keep competing over and over for work on these ta multiple task order type proposals? Would you rather just submit one proposal and perform after that? These are all decisions you have to make. And the degree to which you understand them is how much risk you're signing up for. Mm -hmm. and, and on the government side, make sure they understand how many task order proposals do you expect them to have to write. You may not know, but if you have an idea historically of you know, we're, we're going to do one a month, one a week. Right. I mean, I had one where the, the expectation was historically that it was one a month. But for the first two months of the contract, it was going to be like two or three a week until we get everything in place. We... Fortunately, from, from listening to people who've been there a while, we added that into the, the RFP so people saw it coming and it wasn't a problem. Yeah, just but tell them that this will be the flow. In the first six months, we intend to release 14 requests for task order proposals. It helps them qualify, right? We're not capable of even responding to those. We better not bid. Let's move on to one more question you should ask yourself, industry, as you're qualifying your ability to respond to this request for proposals. The question's pretty simple. Can you do the work? It seems like an easy one. What we're really saying is, is the specification, the performance work statement or requirement written in a way that it fits your capabilities and strengths? Is it, is it exactly what you do or is it sort of what you do or is it something you aspire to do? 
or is it an amalgamation of some things that you do and some things that you can't do, which oftentimes is the case. And the answer is here. The, the bad one is we're not familiar with specification, performance work statement, or requirement. In other words, we're just reading it, and it sounds like something we could do. Dangerous. And then the other extreme is we already do this for the government. It's our core capability and strength, and we have, again, been very competitive based on the requirement, which means it's exactly what you do, and you know you can do it. Yeah, that's when let's let's bid. Let, we can win this. We're already doing it. This is perfect. It may be that something's changed, and you're doing most of it, but not the rest of it. And then you have to make other decisions about how how can you win if you don't know a part of the work. Do you need to hire a consultant? Do you need to hire key employees? Do you need to have teammates? Do you need to have subcontractors? Do you need to join with a company as a subcontractor? Let them be the prime contractor because they do the most important part of the work now. And one of my most frustrating contracts was one where the main part of the contract was the contractor's core capability. That There was a small part of it that we didn't realize the degree to which they didn't understand how to execute it well. And so they could do like 90% of the work. And that 10% was, of course, at the end. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was painful to get the work done. They almost succeeded. <laughs> right. So, so make sure that they can do, and again, it's, part of that's on me as a, as a person who awarded the contract. I get that. But make sure they can do all of the work is the message to government. And the message to industry is make sure you understand all of the work. And how did both of those things happen? Communication. Let's link this to the acquisition and execution time zones. Since we're talking about targeting and then now qualifying, we are in the acquisition time zones before contract award. This is mostly in the second zone, the market research zone, but can start as early as the requirement zone and is still going on in the RFP zone. Like we said, qualifying is a continuous process. You're doing it all throughout the acquisition time zones up until you start actually writing your proposal. And if the changes are big enough, maybe even after. <laughs> <laughs> Why is this so important, Kevin? Too many targets is overwhelming, but the response is how contractors win each of those opportunities and how the government selects the winner. So the response is a critical piece in this. You have to ask yourself, is the government going to buy your product or service in a way that you can win? If they aren't, you either need to influence that so that they change the way they're going to buy, or you need to back out. Yeah, this is the next gate. The first gate was about the relationship of understanding the customer and the communication. This gate is about responding to actually be able to win the work. Time to get specific about why the government cares about this. If the acquisition plan is not clear, the risk to the government is you're going to get proposals from companies that can't do all the work. Go back to mine, you know, they did 90% of it, and I got a couple of those <laughs> that I clearly remember. The acquisition plan can be clear, but if you don't communicate the, the nuances of your acquisition plan to, the in, to industry, that's where the, the, the risk comes in. So, right, it has to be clear and it has to be communicated. It has to be clear to both parties, which it may be clear yeah, to us. Good point. It's clear to the lawyer, and it was clear to everybody who on the government side. And again, I'm raising my hand because I've done that. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean you don't understand it? Well, they don't. That's the problem. Because what if the what if we're using the wrong acquisition strategy compared to how industry sells? Right. You might have written the perfect acquisition plan, but if you don't actually ask industry, can you sell like this? Woohoo! And, and if you find that out when you drop the RFP, <laughs> one time I did that. I learned that lesson really fast. But that, that's what happens is we have to be talking because what we want is those three proposals. That's the magic number, right? We want such targeting and such qualification to get three proposals. Only three from the most qualified bidders that can most successfully satisfy your requirement. 
this happens sometimes when we bundle what are disparate, unrelated requirements into one big contract. And we don't realize that that's not how industry delivers normally. Right. Now they kludge together a team in order to satisfy these different things that don't really fit together very well. And if we find that out when we drop the RFP or, or in the RFI that comes out two weeks before the RFP drops, we lose a lot of time. For industry, we lose a lot of time and money if we're chasing opportunities that we can't win. So understanding how the government's going to buy is very important. You, industry, might have the technical capabilities to win a competition and still lose if the acquisition strategy and the contract type don't fit. If the government has decided that this is going to be a cost-type contract and you don't have an accounting system that supports that, you can't win. Or if it's going to be a multiple award IDIQ contract and you're going to have to you know, be in a knife fight for every task order for the next five years and, and you don't have the staff for that or, like you said, the willing – what you call it? The willingness? Yeah. <laughs> there? You got to know that. that. That's the strategy that the government's going to execute. Yeah. What if you work really hard to win the IDIQ and don't really have the intention of going through that type of proposal activity over and over and over again? So you worked really hard to win – a $0 contract, and you can never win anything again because the real work comes with the task orders. And, and industry may be able to do some of the work, but can you do all of it? I mean, do you need teammates or are you the prime now or is the other company the sub or do you have to go hire a consultant like you were talking about before? There are these pieces that you may have to fill in. Industry, if you run into a situation where you're reading a request for information or you're reading a draft RFP, and you say, we could do this job if only. Well, what is that if only? If it's something that you can talk to the government about, talk to them. Tell them, we could do this if only you change this one thing. Or we could do this if only we had a teammate that could fill that last 10% that you were talking about, Kevin. It's an important question that allows you to shape what was an unwinnable competition into a winnable competition. And, and government be receptive to this. If only when they say, if only you change this to a small business set aside, we would be eligible. Answer that clearly, distinctly and own it and say, we are not going to change that. But that's how they qualify. That was we would wishy wash. I remember a couple of times we we're like, well, we could and, and we'd make the decision. But then we'd like wait two more weeks. Just put out one post on the FBO that says this will remain a full and open competition, period. That way it was asked and answered. I, that's one thing I figured out later in my career is that they would ask a question, we would we would mull over it, and then we'd answer it, but we wouldn't answer it publicly. Right. Just put it out there and say this. Yeah. What, Great. Glad they asked that. Now we know what we have to do. So let's yeah. do that. But then, but not not share that you made a decision. Yeah, and and it was one of those that, that, that that's what I mean by letting on information through an eyedropper. That is one small piece, but that piece will disqualify a good chunk of or, or qualify. Let's say you change the evaluation criteria to 35 miles per gallon or whatever it is. But it, it's okay to let them out in small doses. That's a critical part of communication that we can do much better at just by being aware of it. We meaning both sides. Correct. All right, Kevin, I think that's it. So let's wrap this up today. On the government side, what if you were buying something in a way that that's not how industry sells it? Communicate your strategy early and find that out. Because the sooner you find that out, the better the acquisition is going to be. Right. What if you're trying? What if you're trying to buy via FAR Part Twelve, and exactly what you need doesn't qualify as a commercial item? If, if you say up front, we're going to use FAR Part Twelve, companies will tell you, 
I can't sell you this VFR Part 12 acquisitions. And, and they're going to say why, and then you're going to copy and paste that into your documentation. <laughs> right. And then on the industry side, consider that what if your perfect customer doesn't buy the way that you sell? What, what if the acquisition strategy doesn't match how you want to be able to sell this or how you have to be able to sell it to actually not lose money? All of those things, that's what this response is all about. This response section is all about your ability to qualify opportunities that you can win and then thrive after you win them. I'll wrap up by saying targeting is not enough. You may have narrowed things down to these are acquisitions that we can actually do. But if you don't qualify, if you don't ask these next series of questions, you may actually be able to do it, but still not be able to win. And to get help from our team with your targeting or qualifying, or to learn more about the RFP score, visit askskyway.com and schedule a time to talk to me. And with that, I'll talk to you later, Kevin. See you, Paul. Okay, thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed today's episode, the greatest compliment you could give us is to tell a friend about the podcast so we can all help make government contracts better one contract at a time. We'll see you next week. You see the trend here. You see the trend. You see the trend. Now go.